Hi, welcome to episode three. Before we start, just want to say happy Chinese New Year. It is this Friday and happy Black History Month. I have a really exciting episode with my friend Kyrene Mo. We're going to split this episode into three main parts. One, an introduction of her and her current job and career. Two, her leadership experiences in college, specifically CSA. And third, we're going to talk about Chinese New Year and our zodiacs. It is the year of the ox. And finally, wrapping up with lessons learned and advice. So yeah, let's get started. Hello, hello. We are recording this episode on February 5th, and I'm so, so, so excited to do my first interview and joint podcast episode with Kyrene. She's one of my closest friends from college. I've known her since freshman year. And yeah, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Kyrene. I am super excited and honored to be Brian's first podcast guest. I'm currently 23. I live in Dallas, Texas, which is also where I was born. And like Brian said, we went to college together. So had lots of fun memories for all those years. I majored in chemical engineering, graduated, and I returned to Dallas to work full time immediately after graduation for PepsiCo. So PepsiCo owns Frito-Lay and Frito-Lay has their headquarters up in Plano. So that's where I work and I do process engineering currently in their supply chain department. There's a lot of titles in there, but I'd be happy to break those down later. That's awesome. I guess I have to ask, what's your favorite potato chip or brand that you guys own? Ooh, so I'm going to be straightforward. I am not a huge snacker, especially when it comes to potato chips, but we do make a lot of really cool stuff that I still get excited about, but don't personally eat. As far as like our brands go, I have to say Smart Food Popcorn is probably my favorite one. I know all of you know what that is. And if you didn't know that Frito-Lay owned it, well, now you do. Um, Our kettle chips are great. I'm a huge fan of those. And also the classic flavors, those always hit the spot when you need it. You can't go wrong with the Doritos, especially the Cool Ranch. It's always a classic. And Taco Bell, Doritos, Locos Tacos. Okay, well, we better stop talking food. It's going to be hungry. Just jumping in, I'm curious since I know a lot of my listeners know me from McCombs or my business background. You're coming from an engineering standpoint. Why don't you tell us about how you chose your major in college and ultimately how that led to your first job at PepsiCo? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So my rationale for choosing chemical engineering when I was in high school was pretty simple. Someone had told me that engineering is about problem solving. I was like, yeah, that sounds like something I like to do. And in high school, one of my favorite classes was AP chemistry, mostly because of the teacher. We all have that one teacher who really just made all the difference for us in high school. And for mine, it was my AP chemistry teacher. He was the coolest dude. So I was like, okay, well, let me just throw those together, engineering and in chemistry and you get chemical engineering. So, and it just worked out that UT has one of the top chemical engineering programs in the country. So I applied, wasn't super sold on going to UT. I actually wanted to get out of Texas because rebellious 18 year old me didn't want to be close to home anymore. But I ended up getting accepted into this really great program and decided that, you know, Austin's not so bad. So I ended up going to UT and I interned. I had my very first and only internship in college for PepsiCo, the company 
company I currently work at now at the same location in the summer between my junior and my senior year. It was a 10-week internship at headquarters. Again, I worked in supply chain division, but that internship was more of like a warehouse focus. So our distribution warehouses where we ship out boxes of chips to stores like Walmart, Target, those customers. And after I completed my internship, I really loved it. It was mostly the people that I met that sold the internship for me and not necessarily like the work that I did. I wasn't super hands-on chemical engineering concepts and things like that, but everyone that I met, I found them to be really inspiring and just great company culture. So that was the reason I accepted my return offer. And then after graduation, took a little break to go on a trip to Asia. Brian was there too. We had a great time. Oh yeah, such a great time. (laughs) So many great stories that Brian doesn't want to revisit. (laughs) Definitely not appropriate. Yeah, I got all my travel itchies out of my system. And then I started working July after I graduated. So I started off actually in project management, which is more of a business role, in fact. And then I spent about two, three months there. And then I switched over into a technical role where I am now. That's awesome. And obviously, it's really cool for me because I had no idea what engineers do post-program. I know there's plenty of jobs and such a sought-after field alongside business for stable careers. But could you elaborate a little bit more on the change from your internship, which was more supply chain engineering, and you worked in the warehouse, you mentioned, and, and talk about why you pivoted to project management and sort of the differences between the two jobs, if you could. Yeah. So when you say that you don't really know what engineers do, I can bet you that a lot of engineers don't even know what they do. Like some days I ask myself that question. My parents, they ask me, so what do you do? And I'm like, damn, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I'm trouble figuring it out. But the different roles do have a lot of responsibilities. And I would say for anybody who's currently just wondering, like, what do engineers really do? There's a lot of really technical jobs out there where you're using like heat transfer, mass balances, like all these concepts from your classes, like plugs straight out your textbook, straight out the classroom. Those are super technical roles. And then there's roles like mine, where it's more of the general skill set that you graduate with that's more valuable. So mainly, I think it's the ability to solve complex problems that my company looks for in its engineers. So when you take a complex problem, and you know how to break it down into its parts and solve them one by one and tackle these really, really, really big projects, that's ultimately what we do. We execute these huge projects, and they have so many moving parts. There's so many contractors we have that are involved in building design phase. There's a cost element of it. I mean, there's so many parts to these multi-million dollar projects that engineers at my company work on. So I had a little bit of a taste in that in the warehouse context when I interned. And then I wasn't really that interested in warehouse, honestly. So that's why I switched over to what we would call the manufacturing side. So the process of actually making our finished products, not just shipping them out. And I started off in project management because when I graduated, I was like, yeah, I love my classes. It was really interesting. I learned a lot, but I kind of want to do something different with my degree. I like the idea of management. I've had leadership in college and I think that I could be really good at that. So I applied to a project management role to start out with and I got it. And it was exactly that. It's more of a business side of things. So you do budgeting, you do scheduling, and it's not so much like talking about dimensions and like motor designs and things like that. But then get two, three months into my project management role, 
hold a position in a technical role, it opened up. And one of my mentors at the company had remembered me saying that I was eventually interested in moving into a technical role. So although it actually wasn't customary for a college new hire like me to take on that technical role, my mentor kind of vouched for me in order to support my interests and my future at this company. And I decided to make a lateral move. And in my mind, I was like, okay, it's generally a good idea to start with a technical foundation. And then I can always return to a business role later if I want to versus the other way around, I think is a little harder if I stayed in a business role for longer than I wanted to switch into technical later, then maybe I would be at a disadvantage. So I was like, everything looks good, checks out, sounds like a good idea. And I switched over. Interesting. And that reminds me in the finance world, it's sort of similar in the case that there's some niche finance roles like treasury and corporate development, and obviously in investment banking and other specialized career paths. Those are very hard to enter in unless you go straight from college. So in my position, I'm you know almost two years into my career at Dell in this finance development program. I don't think I could switch over to investment banking. And so I think that's a really smart and great move on your part. And something that occurred to me, I know you talked about traveling earlier. You're currently, you know, still traveling for your work. What's that like traveling for work? And what are some of the cool places you've been or seen? I have been traveling amidst all quarantine craziness. I still get on a plane for my job. Actually, I think at the end of last year, I counted it. I traveled something like 10 or 11 times for work since the start of our work from home in early March when a lot of companies started shifting to work from home. And most of the places that I go, they're manufacturing plants. And with most manufacturing plants due to just the cost of land and zoning laws, they're probably an hour outside of anything relevant. So pick a city that you know and then go drive an hour outside of it and that's where our plants are. So they're really in like these rural American settings where I mean there's like cows and farmland and it's like these cute quaint little towns. It's not really big cities. Some of our plants are but I'd say only like three and then there's like 20 some other ones across the US that are just in really small towns. So where am I going? I'm going to small towns in America and what I do there I mean there's a lot of different stuff. A lot of things that when you execute a project requires you to be on site. What's my favorite place I've been to? I spent a long time in Phoenix, Arizona. That's one of our plants that's a little closer to the actual city. Arizona is beautiful. I'd never been before, but sunsets there are just mind-blowing. It's like a painting. It's nothing I've ever seen before. It looks like a TikTok filter, but it's real. Arizona is gorgeous, and I was there in October when the weather was not brutally hot. It was really nice outside. Another small town I've been to is like Beloit, Wisconsin. You fly into Chicago, and you drive an hour over the border, and you get to Beloit, and I've also went to the middle of Arkansas. Arkansas, all these places I'd never thought I'd been before, which is an amazing opportunity that this job has afforded me. I would highly recommend if you want to see the world and if you like want to travel, you know, express that when you're looking for a job, when you're hunting. I'm jealous. Yeah, I uh, don't get to travel at all for my role. So I'd love to see the Midwest. But no, that's awesome. I appreciate you for sharing, Kyrene. Going back to your current role, what's like a typical week or, you know, a month look like for a process engineer, if you could summarize? There is no typical, I would say. Like most real engineering jobs, a lot of people will tell you that no day is the same. There's always something different. Your projects are always moving forward and maybe you're putting out on busy manufacturing roles, you could be putting out fires every day in your plant. I mean, metaphorical fires, not real fires. That'd be terrible. (laughs) Things just happen is what I'm trying to say. I do work with a lot of data. So I spend quite a bit of time on Excel, identifying trends and then 
you look at these trends and the trends build a business case for a project, it identifies a need. So for example, if I say like, we want more small chips or something like that compared to large chips, then the data and the whole process involved in that decision is incredibly complex. It's a lot more complicated than you would think for a bag of chips. You probably don't even think about it, but like there's a lot of engineering and a lot of process, millions and millions of dollars that go into bringing that chip to the 7-Eleven, bringing the bag of Cheetos to the Walmart. And so every day it's just kind of chugging along. You're in meetings, you're collaborating with all these other people. I'm talking to vendors who are building modifications on our plants for us. I talk to the sites that are making the chips, uh, check on them, support them, see how things are going. Maybe they have mechanical problems. And I use my position as sort of like a technical expert to help them solve those problems. There's a presentation aspect of it too. Like with any professional job, you have to have something to show for the work that you've done. You have to let upper leadership know. And so there's these check-ins. There is no typical day, I would say. So I can't just give you like a breakdown, but that's one of the best parts about this job. If you like fast paced work, then something that's different every single day is perfect. That's awesome. And last question about work, because I know it's not the most exciting topic, but what's your favorite part about being at PepsiCo? I used to intern at General Mills, so I think the culture at these consumer packaging goods companies are top notch. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That would exactly be my answer. It's the culture. The way I sort of articulate this, especially to college students when I do recruiting, is our job is just a little less dangerous if you think compared to chemical companies or oil and gas companies where the products that you're moving, the things that you're creating are incredibly high risk. I mean, it's dangerous. You have toxic fumes. You have flammability. You're constantly in this high stress environment. But what's different about working for a company that makes chips is we actually say this all the time at work. We just make chips. That's it. Like you can go to the production line and you can pick off a fresh hot Dorito and you can eat it. And it's actually really good. We don't have to take ourselves so seriously because at the end of the day, we just make chips. And I think that materializes in the company culture because people are just nicer and they're more laid back and it is so welcoming. The teamwork is amazing. You're encouraged to collaborate with one another. You're encouraged to quote bring your whole self to work, as they say, and make friends, make connections. They want people to have that face to face time. So the company culture is the reason I mentioned earlier why I took my return offer instead of recruiting. And it's still the reason that I'm here, honestly. The people continue to inspire me. They continue to support me and encourage me to make the most out of my time here and to really push myself in my career. I love that, Karine. And I'm really, really glad you mentioned the collaboration, the team aspect, because at the end of the day, that's a lot of what I do and a lot of what I believe corporate jobs are like. It's not about what you know, but it's about how you work in a team and how you collaborate, which leads me to ask, like, where did you build these skills? What kind of experiences did you have in college that really made you, you know, stand out? Absolutely leadership skills, 100%. It's nothing that I ever did in the classroom. It's everything that I did outside of classroom. So the orgs I was involved in and the leadership that I chose to pursue in those orgs, that is 100% the reason why I got my job and the reason why I'm still at my job and able to like push myself because I have like those teamwork skills. I have those communication skills. I know what it's like to have to get a bunch of people in a room and make decisions together in pursuit of a common goal. That's amazing. And would you attribute that from your experience in college? Specifically, you were actually treasurer for an Asian interest sorority as well. Why don't you tell us about how that experience really shaped your overall college experience and how it connects with your passions and interests? 
I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, I also love talking about the other org that I was involved in. Like Brian said, it was an Asian interest sorority on campus. Yes, we were a Greek organization. And when I was a senior, I served on the executive board as treasurer, which I had so much fun doing. That, again, was another executive kind of leadership position that really, really shaped me in college. And it was so rewarding to me to have made so many great connections in the sorority that honestly stay with me even today. I'm, I'm two years out of college and my closest friends came from this organization. So it was so deeply connected to me. I had such like an emotional connection to my sorority. And when I was a senior, I really wanted to give back to that passion. And I saw that opportunity in the leadership. I think there's a phrase out there, gosh, what is it? Like you lead to serve. You don't do it for yourself you do it for other people. And so that's really how I approached being treasurer. And that's also how I approached being president. So that's how I act on my passions is my my first reaction is that I want to give back to the organization that I feel has given so much back to me. And the feeling that comes out of that is just indescribable. It is so fulfilling. I feel like I am there for a purpose and the energy that I walk into those roles with, it just comes naturally with president. I never felt burnt out with treasurer. I never felt burnt out either. It was exciting for me to go to every meeting and just be excited to see the people that I was working with, be excited to like put on some event or talk about the next project that we wanted to do, talk about graphic design, just all these parts of the organization. None of it ever felt like work. No, it's not a job if you're doing what you love. You're just doing what you love. It never feels like a burden. So I really hope that, you know, I can continue to feel that way about the rest of my life, like people in my life, the my job and everything else that I do. It's just such a fulfilling feeling to be passionate about something and to be able to give back to that thing. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And that shouldn't be exclusive of your, you know, nine to five job. And I think that's one of the main outcomes I'm hoping to get out of these episodes is like really, really understand all the different careers and the different motivations and why these friends and people I know chose their job. And, and just as a as, as a check, like, do you truly feel passionate about what you do? I think we have plenty of years to be working and why not make the work you do a little bit more exciting and interesting? Yeah, I think a lot of people are scared to ask themselves that question. Like you recruit or something and you do a job just because it's a job, but you're like, am I passionate about it? And I think some people are just scared that the answer is going to be no. And then they're scared that they're going to feel stuck, like this isn't the right thing for them. But you have to ask the question in order to realize where you stand compared to where you want to be. If you really want to do something that you're passionate about, then you have to like face your reality and ask yourself, am I passionate about what I do? And then you go from there. Absolutely. And I can't think of a better example than Chinese Student Association. And also happy Lunar New Year slash Chinese New Year for those listening. I know it's coming up. And what better timing than having this episode on the same week. So Kyrene, why don't you tell everyone about our experience in CSA while we're at UT? Yeah, so background, Brian and I met freshman year through the Chinese Student Association at UT. So we were both junior officers, which means that you're not part of like main officer board, you're more like an officer in training. So freshman year, Brian and I were both junior officers. Sophomore year, I became activities director, Brian was fundraising director. And then junior year, I went off to continue to become president of the org. And then Brian dropped off to do his rat daddy, whatever he was doing. (laughs) 
Yeah, I did. You know, looking back, I wish I pursued VP or some sort of level of leadership and stuck through it. But I ultimately did another leadership role in the business fraternity I was involved in. No regrets, but I wish I could have supported you, Kyrie, because you're a really, really great president. I think you did a fantastic job. What experiences do you think really helped set you up to be a successful president in your freshman and sophomore year? That's actually a great question. Definitely exposure to the organization make a big deal in a leader. You have to know the way that things work. I don't think I could have just walked on to CSA sophomore year and then become president junior year. I think making the connections with people starting from freshman year and like moving all the way through to becoming president junior year made a huge difference. And if you can't tell already, CSA is like pretty near and dear to my heart and and Brian's as well. We've had a lot of great memories in that organization. I care a lot about CSA. I still go to their alum things. It means a lot to me because it was such like a transformative leadership experience for me. What do you think was one event or like experience that really solidified CSA for you? I can start off. I always look back at freshman year and our mid-autumn festival, which is an annual fall event that we do for CSA. And we're both MCs. And I just remember being so nervous and I still can't speak in front of a crowd, but the event turned out really well. And I don't know, it just taught me a lot about being free and not trying to think so much about what other people are perceiving and really focusing on delivering your message and focusing on yourself versus focusing on what other people are thinking, if that makes sense. I thought that was one of the most memorable experiences I've had and multiple experiences like that throughout CSA. I love that experience. If you can just like picture for a second, super tiny and awkward me and Brian freshman year, like standing in front of a crowd of people emceeing this mid-autumn festival. Brian's pants were too big. Like, Bruh. <laughs> it was, put me so out of my element, but that's where you grow, right? When you push your comfort zone. So I love that memory too. I would agree that's been like a top 10 CSA experience for me was emceeing that mid-autumn festival. Yeah, man, I'm now thinking about a bunch of them like Dragon Bow and camping and there's just a lot of really, really great opportunities. And of course, you know, shout out to those on Zoom University. Yeah, it really stinks right now. But hopefully those who can go back to campus next fall definitely would recommend getting involved in a student organization, especially a cultural student organization. I mentioned earlier that I do recruiting for my company and the people that stand out the most are not the ones that have the 4.0 and can list all the design projects that they've worked on or the past internships. It's the people who are really memorable in the interview and they have memorable things to talk about. And that's usually most of the content that people pull from is their leadership experience. So I've heard people talk about like their volunteering. There's this one guy I still remember from way back in September last year. I still remember he ran a outreach program in Austin for homeless people. He got to homeless people every single weekend and he would help provide them with shelter, meals, and basically try to get them on their feet again. And it was so obvious to me how passionate this guy was about it and how much work he put into it. And at the same time, how he was able to balance that with school. It took his interview like to sky high levels. He was so memorable. Like here I am, February the next year, still remembering this kid. Do you get the job? <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I really hope that he did. I thought that he would be a wonderful addition, but those decisions were not in my hands, so I don't know. But yeah, it's like, it's the experiences. It's the CSA that you can talk about or the leadership. Maybe you were VP service in your Greek organization or, I mean, even the smallest roles, like maybe you led a design team. You're in the, I don't know, solar car club. This is so engineering nerdy of me to say, but maybe you're in that club and you were like design lead or something. It's the leadership opportunities outside of class that made all the difference and that's what distinguishes you from the next guy or girl you guys have all done the same classes okay talking about your classes does not make you special and like you know if you guys all design the same program or i don't know you design the same catapult that does not make you special from one guy to the next it's everything that you pursue outside of the classroom that makes you who you are really have to agree there i'm actually curious since we're you know both obviously chinese american what are your plans for the holiday slash new year and tell us about what your family usually does if you know if they do anything mine personally they don't do much we usually just make dumplings and eat mooncake we don't really celebrate like a huge celebration of chinese new year my family doesn't either to be honest we don't I would say that we're not super traditional, but we do value the holiday as a time for family to get together. So I think this year what we're probably going to do is have like a group Zoom call with all my extended family. We're spread out across the country and in Canada. And so we value the new year as time for everyone to just see each other. Usually my dad will make something, not necessarily dumplings, but he'll just make whatever he's feeling. And we buy mooncakes too. My mom loves mooncakes. Yeah, that's probably all we do in terms of celebration my family's never been all that traditional about these chinese holidays it always takes like a family focus right yeah it's weird because i know counterparts in asia at least on the dell side they're definitely having a ball but in the u.s it's it's weird because the parents are adjusting american culture we're in the mix and yeah usually there's local like chinese new year or lunar new year festivals and that reminds me in high school i used to be a part of a dragon dance team I don't know if I've mentioned this. It's it's pretty funny. My senior year, I got pulled into this local Chinese community center. It's located in Bel Air in Houston. Um, shout out to all my Houstonians. And it's it's a fun time. It's great. It's a great community. A lot of Sugarland kids are going to that center. Fun fact, those dragon heads are so heavy. Like they're like 20 pounds. And then you're like running around the stage for like 10 minutes. And I don't know, 17 year old Brian can't lift 20 pounds pallets over his shoulders now yeah they are super heavy actually now that you say that you reminded me of a really old memory my mom actually used to pack red packets for me she put a little chinese coin in the red packet normally when you receive red packets you receive money from your relatives right but in these red packets she would just put like a souvenir chinese coin the ones with the squares cut out in the middle and she made a whole bunch of them and this was back in elementary school on chinese new year she would send me to school with all these red packets and she told me to give them out to all of my friends. And back then in elementary school, I was the only Asian person in my class at the time. I went to a public school close to my house and a lot of these kids, they had no idea what Chinese New Year was. And they definitely had no idea what a red packet was or what the significance of it was. So as a kid, I think I was like a little bit embarrassed by it just because I was so different. But my mom, I think I look back on it, she was teaching me to be proud of my culture, to be comfortable expressing who I was and that, you know, teaching 
teaching other people about a culture that's different to theirs. There's so much value in that. And I think she wanted me to learn that value at such a young age. So when you mentioned your community center thing, I don't know why, but it just it just jogged that memory for me. I love that. And you know, that that's a really good point because like kids being born now, Asians are cool, right? We have BTS, we got crazy rich Asians recently, Bling Empire. I remember growing up and there's like no representation feeling really left out when I was growing up because I didn't really have huge role models. I mean, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, right? But like we didn't have like relatable people like fresh off the boat, like at least, hey, this is a cast of a family. They look like me, they eat like me and they think like me and so a little bit jealous that you know everyone's growing up in this age where really east asians and asians in general it's really cool and trending to be honest yeah it would have been so great growing up now just to see the representation that we have in mainstream media definitely wasn't like that back in what like 2002 (laughs) right yeah so i'm definitely appreciating the recent attention and representation of asians and media it's a really really great time to be alive minus COVID, obviously. I'm just wanting to hop back and talk about Chinese New Year. It is our year, Year of the Ox. I don't know how you feel, Kyrie, but my mom was telling me this is like my bad luck year, so I'm a little bit anxious. Well, my parents haven't said anything, but my friends keep reminding me to put on something red. I'm dead. Yeah, like I need red everywhere. And now we're just looking at the Chinese New Year website for the Ox, and I think it's pretty accurate. I mean, honest and sincere. That's me. Plug. Um, Hardworking (laughs) and skilled. Also you. Yeah, definitely. Never seeks a center of attention. Totally. Brian is very subtle. We'll attest to that. Subtle Asian traits. But they get recognition for their hard work. There's a line on here that says, Oxen firmly believe that everyone should diligently do what is asked of them. I think that's a trait or an expectation of mine that has sometimes been a fault of mine, I will say. So that is neither a good nor bad thing, I guess. It depends on how you use it. So far, I'm 10 out of 10 an ox, according to ChineseNewYear.co. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, for those who might not be familiar with the Chinese zodiac animals, I would definitely like look into the story, understand like the different animals and even just the different traits and compatibility. If you're into, you know, just astrology, I think it's pretty interesting. It does match up with my sign as I'm a Gemini. And so I definitely believe partially everything I see online. Maybe that's a bad thing, but yeah, if you're if you're not Chinese and not as familiar, or I guess Asian in general, and you're not as familiar with the Lunar New Year, I can only speak for my own culture but Chinese people I think historically are very very superstitious and so when it comes to the zodiac and traits associated with your zodiac character it makes sense to me in Chinese culture that they would really believe in these things and they totally do like my grandparents I think of them right now they actually still celebrate their Lunar New Year birthdays twice a year on their um, Gregorian calendar birthday and their Lunar New Year calendar birthday. And the Lunar New Year, I don't think it lines up exactly with the Gregorian calendar, right? So I think each year we have to figure out what date their birthday, what calendar date their birthday lies on based on their Lunar New Year date. It's a whole process, but it's part of the culture. And I honestly appreciate it for the way that it is. It's like something that's really, really special. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly would 
wouldn't change the year that uh, I was born. I truly believe the ox is the best zodiac. But uh, I'm curious, Karen, would you choose a different animal? Mm, I don't know a whole lot about the other animals, but I like where I am. I think I think it fits me. I feel like a lot of people say they want to be a dragon because it sounds cool. Yeah. Like, hey, give the other animals some love. Like the sheep. The sheep's cool. My parents are chickens. Nothing wrong with chickens. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. My mom's a monkey and my dad's a rabbit. So it's cool. One of my favorite things is like when you go to some of these Chinese restaurants and the placemat that they have on the table is like the Zodiac. That's what I studied as a kid. Oh. ate out at the restaurant and I would just read the Zodiac and stuff. <laughs> I loved that. I miss those. I just like miss going into restaurants and especially Chinese restaurants just full of energy. And speaking of which, do you miss being in Austin and do you miss the Asian food scene here? I know Dallas has a bomb scene, but... Ooh. Dallas um, is really strong in I think Korean and Chinese food in my experience, especially Korean. Yeah. Um, okay. Compared to Austin, Dallas Chinese food is so much better. I feel like Austin has nothing. Like maybe just first Chinese barbecue and then there's like this one dim sum place. That's it. I do miss Austin for the rest of the city though, but I would, I think I'd stick to Dallas if I wanted my Asian food. <laughs> You know, we've shared a lot of memories together, but what's one that really stuck out to you over the years? Yeah, we have had so many fun and weird, crazy times together. I think for me, some of my favorite memories of Brian and I's friendship has been just chilling at my apartment in West Campus. Shout out to all the UT people listening. You guys know Quarters Noises. It is a notorious um, apartment complex in the middle of West Campus. And Brian and I, sophomore year, we both lived there. Yeah, and for those that are still at UT and maybe just started, y'all did not see UT. UT at its worst when we didn't have no brick road. We had cars swerving on Speedway. Yeah, I don't miss Wampus at all. It was just <laughs> terrible. It still is terrible. Great memories though. Oh, you know what? I just remembered those barbecues we used to do next to the pool for CSA. Oh, oh yeah, we had time. pool days. And actually, that was when I was activities director. I had to plan those things. Flex. Yep, big flex. I learned what all the cheapest hamburger and hot dog buns are in the Austin area <laughs> and what the <laughs> cheapest sodas are and the cheapest plastic cups. <laughs> yeah, yep. and I learned how to burn a hot dog and it was great. Oh and my God, we almost burned down the patio because we didn't know how to work a grill. And the one guy who was supposed to work the grill for us, he was late. And so we were trying to start that grill and I thought I could do it. So I tried and then like the the patties caught on fire like i opened the grill lid and everything was just on fire and i was like oh my god i can't do this i can't (laughs) (laughs) just the representation of a typical college student okay final question what advice would you give to an incoming freshman especially for those women who are entering stem who want to be leaders and who want to be successful Yes, uh, I love that question. I always wish that I could go back and talk to myself back then because I think about freshman me. I had no social skills. I was not confident at all. I had zero sense of style. I did not know how to walk through the world with any ounce of personality, any sort of identity that was my own. And I think that was a really difficult obstacle for me in a lot of situations, just me doubting myself. And because I doubted myself, I was scared to act. I was scared to go after that leadership position or something that I wanted because I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of rejection. And I think a lot of people feel this way. If you're in a new situation, like a freshman in college, or if you're first day on the job or something like that, when you're completely thrown into an unfamiliar environment, doubt comes creeping in and it's so hard to stop it. But what I would tell myself back then 
I think about this Carrie Fisher quote that I really, really like. And in this quote, she says, what's important is the action. You don't have to wait to be confident. Just do it. And eventually the confidence will follow. That's incredible. And I think that even applies to those who procrastinate too. It's just like once you get the ball rolling, once you start a process, it becomes so much easier. It's just taking that first step forward. And I totally agree I too had a hard time freshman year just finding myself. And I think that's the beauty of college and, you know, why it exists. It helps you grow so tremendously personally and and it helps you figure out who you really are. This interview really flew by. Thank you again, Kyrene, for making time for this. I know how busy everyone is, especially Friday afternoons. Like there's always something going on. Nonetheless, thank you again. And signing off as usual, best regards, Brian. And Kyrene.